You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose speaks with Kevin Brown, Senior VP of Schneider Electric Secure Power Division, as they discuss the impact of big data centers on decarbonization, the role of technology, computing and IT, and how it will impact the path to net zero. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Are you well, first of all, and everyone's safe? Yeah, we're doing quite well. And, uh, you know, where, where I am in the United States, actually, it's been, uh, it's a little easier than most. I mean, we live in a pretty open area. We can still go outside. So, uh, so even though we've been locked down for a couple of months, it's uh, not been too bad. Not too, that's a good thing. That's the main thing. Um, let's talk a little bit about your area of expertise. Um, and it's really important, I think, that we're often talking about net zero and we're talking about kind of lower carbon and we always talk about big stuff, don't we? We talk about, you know, let's cut down transport, let's cut down flights, what's happening with coronavirus, we're saying, yeah, it's clear, you know, whatever. And we're all doing this, we're all doing this stuff. And we never really talk about computing. We never talk about the IT world. So that's the conversation we're gonna to have today. But where's your fascination with IT come from? I mean, were you, were you a keyboard warrior before the term keyboard warrior came along? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the first computer I got, I got asked this not too long ago, and I had to dig through my memory banks, but it's, uh, it was in the early, I won't, I hate to say when, I don't want to date myself. But it, <laughs> you Texas, and I are similar, so we can go, we can go with that. Early it, was 80s, a, it was a Texas Instruments computer. Yeah. And uh, it did not have an operating system. It just booted into BASIC, and you'd have to type in the Basic, program yeah. on it. And then I remember I had to go and get a uh, old tape recorder, a cassette, you know, and some of the younger generation may not even know what these are. Right? But, uh, I think you can relate. And, uh, you know, you had to back it up the tape every time you wrote the program. And then when I wanted to rerun the program, I had to load it from the tape and then run it again. So it was, uh, uh, you know, and I remember thinking how cool that was because it was much better than the punch cards that my older brother had to use. So Absolutely. we've come a, long, come a long way since then. Yeah. And then do you remember when internet first came and, and it was a nightmare because obviously you'd have to take the phone off the hook for dial-up and you'd have to actually... That's right. That's right. Well, no, we, were, we, were, we were very luxurious. We had a second line that we put oh, in. Wow, that's that different. We were, uh, and I remember being very excited when we went from 28-8-BOD uh, to uh, uh, 56. And I was like, wow, this is so fast. We'll never need more than this. And, uh, I mean, we, we joke about it and, and it is hilarious because you, you look at it and, you know, hey, I think we're not that old, okay? Let's, uh, maybe our kids would disagree, but I don't think we're that old. So, but we've had a foot in the analog world and then the digital world. And for when we were growing up, computers were things in movies. They were big things with massive tapes. And like you say, home computing was very small. So I don't think the computer industry ever thought about its sort of environmental imprint in those days at all, did it? Oh, I don't think so. Not at all. And uh, candidly, my, I think it was maybe within the last 10 years is when you started seeing the big data center guys start worrying about what was their electrical footprint. And it was, uh, you know, partially because of business reasons, electrical costs were a cost driver for them. Um, but it also is that uh, the industry got the attention of Greenpeace. And uh, if you go back a number of years ago, I think it was 2011, roughly time frame, 2012, where Greenpeace really started saying, hey, these things are dirty clouds. And you started yes. hearing this kind of rhetoric. Um, and that really got woke up the industry, in my opinion. That really got everybody's attention. And, uh, 
you know, if you look at the energy efficiency of those data centers now versus what we built 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, I mean, our, our models show it probably eliminated 80% of the waste. So, you know, the big data centers actually are quite efficient in, uh, in the overall scheme of things. Let's take the, um, the viewers through this because <clears throat> we, if you can give, just indulge me a little bit about kind of computing because people probably don't, I certainly don't know how much energy is used. You know, we're, we're doing this now on Zoom. People are using Teams and FaceTime and all of the things we now have. In the, in the office environment, we're using emails and we're surfing the net. Um, can you give us a sort of idea of kind of just roughly what sort of energy is used by us in computing? I mean, is it like kind of driving a car up the road for sort of 30 miles? We, we can't really understand it, can we? It's an interesting topic because there's some efforts in the industry going on to try and relate it to, you know, hey, every time you do a movie you know, on Netflix, how much, what's your carbon footprint per That's movie? That's it, exactly. You know, yeah. a lot of work around that, you know, and I, and I, I don't, you know, we're working on those types of models as well. You know, what we did do an internal study, and there's lots of debate in the industry about this. Actually, I don't think anybody really knows. But our kind of numbers show it's like 500 terawatt hours is what is being consumed by uh, uh, the industry today. And, uh, you know, and that's a significant amount of energy. You know, when you think about uh, uh, the typical size of a country like the U.S., I believe, is somewhere in the 4,000 terawatt hours number. So 500 globally, we think it's probably in the neighborhood of somewhere between 2 and 5% of the total energy consumption on the grid. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? Between yeah. It's, 2 and 5% of global energy is, yeah, and, is, that, is computing. Just computing today, and uh, and that's after a decade of as we started this conversation of gaining huge efficiency gains, right? Because people were replacing the movement to the cloud. Two things happened. So first of all, when they did that, they consolidated and they virtualized. So that made them made the uh, applications much more efficient relative to the footprint they were running on. So they had less servers, and the virtualization drove efficiency. And as I mentioned the data center providers themselves, when you went into the cloud, they eliminated about 80% of, uh, of the losses versus where we were 10 or 15 years ago. So that entitlement though, is those were the easy low hanging fruit in effect. So it's really a challenge for the industry moving forward about how do we keep driving on the efficiency and the carbon footprint. With our lives, and this current pandemic has shown even more how important our digital connections are. Um, have you looked at where we might be going with this? Have you done some sort of analysis of how much computer use would go up? We talked just now, maybe 5% of the world's energy is used in computing. Do you think that'll go exponentially higher as we try and work in a much more digital way, which is every nation's looking at that now in, in the current climate? And, and also what you think it will mean for its importance in the energy play? Because in the public's mind, it's still big, dirty coal, and then we probably think cars, and then we think, you know, planes, and we're not thinking about this. But if this grows up, it will become quite significant. Well, it, 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 and this is something we started studying over the last couple of years. In the last two to three years, this uh, topic became important for us. And what we started looking at is not only just what's going to happen with the big data centers, but really, and certainly with the crisis that's going on and the more people working from home has highlighted kind of this, the more distributed part of IT, right? Call it edge computing, whatever, you know, jargon you want to use, you know, it's uh, where yesterday's server rooms and wiring closets are becoming part of the mission critical 
hybrid IT environment now. So they're, you know, people are taking them more seriously maybe than you were in the past. And so we, our models kind of show that the footprint of call it edge computing is going to accelerate greatly, right? To the point where we said we're at 500 terawatt hours today in total is our estimate that by 2040, edge computing alone might be 3,200 terawatt hours. Whoa. So that is like the equivalent of, uh, you know, 275 million households, which I think is bigger than the United States. I don't even know if we have that many households in the United yeah. States. So it's a massive challenge in footprint that we see coming. And we are really working and getting ourselves oriented around what can Schneider do to help the industry deal with this challenge. So that challenge, I mean, it seems like it's, it's staggering. With, with what you're looking at, if, if you can make it sort of simple for, because I'm a pretty simple guy, is that really the energy that's used to keep things like you know, those big server farms cool, or is it the energy that's in kind of making our computers, you know, the, the embedded carbon, uh, yeah. or is it just the running costs, you know, the running power? So is it how many, you know, wind farms we'll need and how many nuclear power stations and, you know, solar panels will need to generate this, this, this massive amount of energy? Yeah, well, that's a, it's a really important question because all that number that I gave you, the 3,200 terawatt hours in our model, is purely the running energy. So it wow. is, does not account for embedded carbon and it doesn't account for reuse. It doesn't account for the full cycle, which is very difficult to calculate, you know, by the way. It's a, it's a challenge. But that's just the running, the amount of energy we'll need just to run the power we need data-wise. Just to run it, yes. So we need to do something and, and you know, some of the... Some of the things, because we're also worried about the overall circular nature, right? And the overall footprint, you know. And so there's things that we're doing today, with uh, that the industry is doing, and certainly we like to think Schneider is leading this area. But uh, getting away from SF6, which is a uh, sulfuric hydrofluoride, I forget, I forget how to say it actually, but yeah, SF6, I, I learned that as well. Hexafluoride. So, uh, Hexafluoride. Uh, that's it. That's it. And. Uh, you know, and just so you know, like the, the war global warming potential of that gas is 24,000 times greater than CO2. So it's like, so one thing is just when we're putting out this infrastructure, we're leading away and trying to eliminate that gas from switch gear. So that's uh, uh, one area. Another one is we really were very aggressive in getting over to lithium ion batteries. And because it, what that allows you to do is in the case of a UPS is extend the life of the UPS. And if I can extend the life of a piece of equipment, that lowers its carbon footprint because I'm not shipping it back and forth. I'm not shipping replacement products. I don't have that transportation cost. So we're looking at those types of things. But we're also looking moving forward is what are technologies that are out there that can help, uh, you know, so to speak, bend the curve on the energy consumption. And so we're doing a lot of work with partnerships and so forth and liquid cooling, for instance. Um, if we can find a way to make liquid cooling very practical, uh, you know, carbon friendly, easy to uh, maintain, uh, that technology could drop the overall power consumption by 15% on its own, is what our models show. So, you know, how do you deploy this in kind of this uh, massive scale? And uh, the other thing we're doing a lot of work on to help bend that curve and deal with uh, this issue is, uh, you know, distributed energy generation. So microgrids and how can you start putting in the controls so that you can actually take the data centers from being just consuming power actually helping the utility deal with renewables and maybe bring renewables online. Um, so there, there's lots of solutions and technology still to be worked on, and, uh, but those are a few examples. When uh, I was in Barcelona and I saw your boss, uh, JPT, 
stand up and um, make his pledge about Schneider going net zero in 2025, which kind of inspired this whole channel that we're talking on now. Um, one of the things he mentioned was what you've just touched on, the circular economy and the idea of, you know, when I buy something, the manufacturer or the actual end manufacturer, not the retailer, do they have a, a, a kind of compunction, a duty, a moral duty to take that back? You know, the laptop I'm talking you, to you right now from, you know, should at the end of this day, you know, right now it goes, it gets junked. I don't know where it goes and what's been happened to it, but you know, should Apple take it back? So an Apple MacBook, should they be taking it back and stripping it out? The computing infrastructure that you build as a company, should you be doing that? Where, where do you see the circular economy side of kind of the products that we'll eventually get and whose ownership that will have to be in the future? So you know, I do think it's a big part of our responsibility to ensure that we're getting this equipment back, right? And helping, and actually our division with UPSs, since there's batteries and there's lead acid historically in these batteries, we've actually been quite proactive on this in the past and trying to make sure that we're bringing, bringing that equipment, uh, uh, having a proactive recycling program so people could easily get the, the products back to us for recycling. Um, another area that we've been focusing on is sometimes when these products come back under warranty is, can we refurbish them? So we're designing the products now so we can easily reuse the pieces and parts. And just in the last three years, we went from having, uh, you know, about 40% of uh, uh, the products that came back under warranty were able to reuse in some way to last year, three to four years, we took it up. Now we're up above 60% globally. So this is another area of focus of not only are we bringing it back, but making sure that we're making use of it when we get it. Um, so that's certainly a focus for the company. But we're also focused on what can we do for our customers to make this easier. And we've recently announced that we developed a whole set of services that we call monitoring, monitoring and dispatch, where, uh, uh, you know, because most of the time, you know, customers and ourselves, we don't even know where all the equipment is. So yes, that's should, right. Yeah. And then if it's in a remote area, we're particularly focused in this distributed edge environment that is developing very rapidly is we're helping our customers and our partners in the ecosystem where we, with monitoring dispatch, we provide an option where you can leverage Schneider employees to help uh, monitor the equipment that you have out there. And then we can proactively go and replace uh, the equipment with services. That's the dispatch part. So we're doing a lot of work in that area. And then we're also doing a lot around software and tools where we've uh, just recently announced, uh, well, we started working on, we, we completely re-architected a piece of our software for the edge and for managing distributed environments. And that's what we call EcoStructure IT Expert. We just recently announced that we've now got an open API so that now that can be integrated in with other people's management systems very easily so that it's enabling everybody, whether it's a a solution provider of a partner of ours, whether it's us, us ourselves, whether it's uh, the customer or uh, an alliance partner, you know, you can find out and integrate this information very easily on where is equipment, how is it performing, and then ultimately we're getting good at predicting when failures are going to happen, so that you know ahead of time and you can schedule somebody going and getting and making sure that the equipment's being processed properly. Um, you know, if you can plan out these things, it makes it easier. So we're doing some things internally to be better. Uh, and, 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 and reuse of, uh, of, of equipment that comes back to us. But then we're also really reorienting our services and our software 
to ensure that we're making it easier for everybody to know where the equipment is and then also certainly have the program so that we can uh, be more proactive in bringing it back. So it's a long-winded answer, I know. No, no, but uh, no, I understand what you're saying. But in a way, what you've talked about there is almost like a, a maintenance contract in a way. It kind of, you know, the way that a factory would have someone who's kind of in charge of making sure everything's there and checking all of that. We could do this in the, in the digital space. That's what you're saying. In effect, yeah. And, uh, you know, and the idea of a maintenance contract being, you know, hey, I wait until something breaks and then I call somebody on the phone and then, you know, if I, I can get a four hour. That's my IT right now, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I, I, I think in the future that's going to be kind of obsolete, that model, because we're, we, I mean, we have so much data available to us now out of this equipment. And now we can bring it all into the cloud that we can analyze it. And we're, we're, we're today seeing patterns so that we can be much better. We use the artificial intelligence, machine learning, pick your favorite jargon. But when you take the intelligence and the power that you can get out of the data, you can get much more proactive. If I can get more proactive, I can plan better. If I can plan better, then I'm able to be more effective. And that's really the philosophy we're trying to pursue. Part of the aim of this uh, platform is to talk about businesses leading businesses. And you've, you've clearly shown what you're doing at Schneider. If I'm running a business, what should I be thinking digitally? What should I be thinking about my IT systems and what should I be looking at right now? Because a lot of the you've said it sounds great, but A, does it just only apply to big uh, companies that you're dealing with or could it apply to smaller ones? And B, as a business owner or as a, as a company watching this now who wants to improve their sustainability of their IT systems, what can they do right now? You know, in some ways, I still see there's so much, quote unquote, low hanging fruit, right, to go and, and do a better job. And it's very simple things. You know, historically, we still see people, you know, horribly oversize their infrastructure and their equipment, you know. And so we're doing a lot of work to try and make it easier for people to make sure you're sizing things correctly, you know. And uh, I mean, even a simple example is our industry works in this mindset of a 42U, roughly, right? Some people go taller, small, but that's like the basic building block. But at most installations, you actually, especially with the, you know, how computing's progressed, you actually don't need that much space. And if you have that wasted space, that's bad for your carbon footprint in general. So, so we're trying to encourage people, spend more time planning on what is the size and the fit that you really need. And then make sure you're operating this and designing it with efficiency in mind. I mean, if you go to the latest equipment that we're putting out, I mean, we can run very, very efficiently, and particularly if you designed it correctly. You know, and historically, if you go back 10 years ago, the data centers, the big data centers were not designed that well. They weren't designed to understand what's exactly going to be the IT footprint and I'm going to match what I'm designing to fit that exactly. That's how you get a lot of efficiency and lower your carbon footprint. We have that, that challenge is, is, is like, is been greatly improved in the last 10 years, as we discussed earlier. Now we need to do that same thing on the edge. So this is the basic thing, a CIO or somebody who's in this, is that's an easy place to start is am I deploying what I need? Do I have it sized correctly, both in size of, of power and space? And, um, and, and we're trying to drive a lot of tools to, to make it easier for people to get that uh, type of information. So. You almost make it sound, Kevin, as if like, um, you know, the way cars have got more efficient, computing's get more efficient. You know, you know my, my car 15 years ago compared to the car I drive now, my carbon footprint's much lower, it runs much further, it has far less things going wrong with it. Is that the sort of thing we're talking about in, in the world of computing, that there will be these efficiencies so you don't need, you know, terabytes and terabytes and huge amounts because actually the computer's smart enough to use less energy? 
to, to, to do the processing it needs to. Yeah, and, and what, we're, what we're really working on is the interaction between what's happening at the IT and the infrastructure level. You know, this is where the, the, we, we need to do a better job because for instance, IT today, I mean, the power management in IT systems today is much better than it, than it was in terms of if it's using a lot of, you know, if it's using, if it's using a lot of CPU and horsepower, then obviously it's consuming power. But if the CPU is running idle, it throttles down greatly, right? But the infrastructure historically just does the same thing. Yeah. And so we haven't really matched that. And when you get into the small environments, it gets worse. So the challenge is not only doing it in the big environments, but taking advantage of those in the small environments as well. And that's where the, you know, some of that variability, uh, you know, there's, there might be some good things we can do with that if we get clever with, you know, again, batteries. Uh, the car industry is driving battery technology, uh, you know, very rapidly. So can we utilize batteries maybe to, to uh, uh, get rid of some of those peaks? Can we kind of smooth that curve a little bit so that if I'm only bursting for a short period of time, maybe the batteries can help compensate for that amount of energy. And then when it comes back down, um, you, 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 you can uh, um, absorb some of those peaks. And uh, that's where the interaction between infrastructure and IT and the grid really becomes quite interesting, we think, and we see opportunities there. Do you think that, um, again, from what you're describing, if you're a sustainability officer or an energy manager or whatever in, in any business, you now need to look at IT the same as you'd look at your lighting or your heating, or, or and, and probably even more importantly, because it's going to increase. Well, and, and absolutely, right? And if you look, I mean, the, the consumption of buildings is significant. So there's just a challenge there. And Schneider's got another part of Schneider and we're doing work in that area. And uh, as I started working in some of these other areas, this uh, concept of carbon pricing, right, is so obvious, right? So, and if you, you know, today, you know, pretty much every day I turn on the news and they'll tell me what the price of a barrel of oil is. But nobody can tell me, you know, what is society valuing the price of carbon? And generally, there's been this approach of, well, that's kind of a government thing. You know, like Sweden, it's 150 euro per a ton. It's real sweet. You know, but actually, companies can start putting a value on carbon themselves. And in fact, Schneider does. If you go to our annual report, we put a value of carbon of 30 euro per ton for short term. And in the long term, it's 130 euro per ton. And what we're starting to encourage, and we're just getting started with this, but if I look at the cost of IT, and if there's a benefit to upgrading your IT to get greater efficiency, part of the benefit, we don't calculate the carbon if benefits out of that today, but it's very simple. If you put a price on carbon, I can give you a calculator and, and you can add that and adjust your cost appropriately. And that kind of puts in a positive incentive to go and do upgrades and get things more efficient and do the right things because you see the benefits in the financial models. And so this is an area that I think is uh, where you can see companies start getting, other companies have published what they use for a carbon price, but it's a very simple metric that you can use. And if you really start putting it into your formulas, it, it puts in place an incentive to look at, you know, maybe new technologies and take a little bit of risk to lower your carbon footprint and drive efficiencies. Um, so that's uh, one area where we're trying to take things in other industries and other areas and say, how do we apply that inside of IT so that you can uh, um, make some of these things more tangible? Before we end, I suppose we ought to talk about, you can't talk about IT without talking about technology. And I suppose that's the one thing that, you know, every time I get, oh God, you've got to update your software. You've got to, all these changes constantly. Uh, in a way that makes your role even harder, isn't it? Or how you sec, you can't second guess what's coming. 
what processor will come in the next two to five years, how much energy demand there is. So what, what advice would you give businesses to think about that? Because everyone's encouraged to constantly upgrade, aren't they? Um, there's got to be a trade-off because are we constantly upgrading simply because we're trying to get things faster and faster? Or should we, as you've just said, put a price on carbon and go, how do we really need to do that? Can, can we build it with a longer life to, 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 to not need so much? And can we do different processes? So how do you answer that technology question, which will always you know, affect an, an FD or a CEO when they're thinking about their investment in IT? Yeah, so I, you know, I don't know if I'm the best one to comment about how often do I need to upgrade my processors. I'm not you know, the expert and I can have an opinion. But, but I would say the approach we're taking with, with people is we're trying to develop software tools and approaches and it's that make it easier for you to benchmark. You know, because so the question is not necessarily, you know, you know, how do I get to the absolute best in class? A lot of it is around where's my biggest problem today? And how do I go focus on that one? You know, and, and where's my Pareto chart? of? Uh, and today, you know, we can do a much better job and with uh, utilizing, again, like I mentioned earlier in our conversation, big data and some of the power of the cloud and services around helping people understand, number one, where's my biggest problem relative to myself? And then also, how am I doing relative to other people that are similar to me? And we're very interested in trying to help people create those type of benchmarks so that, you know, it's, you got to view this, it's a constant process. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, this isn't ever going to end. So, you know, and uh, so do you have the right process and processes in place? Do you have the right benchmarks so that you know where you should be focusing your effort to get the biggest bang for the buck, so to speak? You know, where's my biggest return on investment? And candidly, I think this is what's gotten lost in some of the sustainability conversations that I see go on is, you know, yes, uh, you know, we know there's a big global warming problem, right, that we have to address by 2050. But we're not going to get there overnight. We're not going to solve the problem overnight. It's going to be a collection of small steps that I take that over the course of three, four, five years, you see a tremendous improvement. And that's what our experience has been. It's doing this small things right, looking at what's my biggest problem, start with the easy ones, work then towards the harder ones. Um, that's where the magic comes. And we need to, we, we, I view that we need to be creating tools in order to help people understand that dynamic and get away from kind of the high level rhetoric. And we know we have this big problem. We got to get to the moon. All right. You know, but it starts with, okay, can I put, can I use the Apollo analogy? Yeah. First, can I just get a rocket up and get the guy back down? Yeah. Then can I circle the earth? Uh, you know, you got to start with the simple steps and then move forward from there to get to the big objective. So hopefully that makes some sense. It does make sense. And just to end with, um, what kind of world in terms of commuting do you think your children, or dare I even say your grandchildren, will be living in? You know, if we go back, go forward another 30 years, um, will, will it be cleaner in terms of IT? And good, good thing is, we, we might not be around, we might be around, but no one's going to hold you to this prediction. But what, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, you know, in your mind, when you're philosophizing these futures, what, what do you think? Will it be cleaner? Will it be just kind of maybe we won't even have computer. I don't know. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling what we could do in 30 years if we look at our own lifespan and what computers were like just 30 years ago. Well, I, I, indulge me with one small story here because I, I remember the first time I got a BlackBerry, right? And I flew to Europe and the plane landed. I turned on my BlackBerry. My email started coming in and I started saying, wow, that is like the, like, that is the coolest thing ever, right? 
And now it's not, that wasn't that long ago. Now, if I show up and if I, you know, I lay, I'm upset if I'm on the plane and I can't get Wi-Fi access. Yeah, right? I mean, the changes just in our own perspective on, on how I rely on and need IT. And then just look in the last six months with what's been going on. I mean, the reliance on IT is incredible. I mean, look at this. We're, we're able to do these, these videos. And, you know, if, if I get a stagger on the network, I'm upset. Right? So the, uh, um, so I think that's an indication of, you know, IT is going to become so ubiquitous and it's going to become, I mean, we think it's mission critical today. I mean, you know, candidly, if I come home at night, my internet access isn't on, I kind of view it as a mini vacation, right? For my kids, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the absolutely. So there's a generational change happening. And in the future, is it going to be clean or everything? I don't know, but it's, what is going to happen is, I mean, kind of, it's almost like the expectations we have out of the electrical utility I mean, that's where we're heading with IT is it's going to have to be up and running. You're going to expect to have access everywhere. And really, it's an interesting challenge if you think about developing economies, say Africa, of how do you deal with that digital divide where, you know, it's it's because it's, that's going to be necessary everywhere. Same way, I think the way electrification had a massive improvement on GDP and health and well-being of people. I think we're heading in that same direction with IT. So, um, so I will say that I can't predict more, you know, but. Uh, I think our reliance on IT, it's going to continue to go. And, um, you know, I mean, to the point where, uh, you know, I have a friend of mine who's uh, one of their kids is diabetic. And uh, I was I was amazed. So he carries, he has a patch that's on his arm measuring his blood sugar levels. And his entire family has an app on their phone and they can help him keep track of what's his blood sugar levels. I mean, so, you know, that's that three years ago, that would have been mind blowing. So, um so really, I can't predict, but uh, this reliance on IT and the availability, it's going to have to be, you know, it, it, it's certainly going to be mission critical. So, Well, let, well let's hope we're both around in 30 years to see what's coming up there. I plan on it. So, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.